Redeemed from broken relationships is the study that we're looking at today. And I'm sure we've all had those experienced at a time in our lives, probably still going through it when you have a relationship that's broken and shattered. Well, this lesson is intended to show us how we can deal with that broken relationship, how we can redeem that uh, shattered relationship. Question number one, what's a silly argument you have, you had when you were a kid? Anybody could remember that? The silly argument that you had when you were a kid that you don't mind sharing. Nobody. I know we all had them, we just don't want to share it, right? <laughs> okay, that's fine. Bible meets life on page 76. Someone would read that. The first thing I did when I got engaged was call my parents and grandparents to tell them the good news. My grandfather, equal parts straight shooter and comedian, remarked, Well, that's pretty good, I guess. I just have one question. Do you like this girl? The question took me off guard. Why else would I have asked her to be my wife? I love her with all my heart, I said. He replied, I didn't ask you if you loved her. I asked you if you liked her. <laughs> you're going to be married to her for the rest of your life, and you're probably going to disagree and argue and fight a lot. So if you're going to work through conflict, you better really like this girl as a person and a friend. <laughs> he knew a truth about all relationships. Conflict happens. Broken relationships often go off track because somebody insists on having something their way. Jacob and Esau are a prime example. But they also show us the key to repairing a broken relationship. Okay, so I trust we'll see what that key is today as we go through the study. What's the point? Showing humility is critical to restoring relationships. Showing humility. And you know that's the biggest problem in repairing relationships? Nobody wants to be humble. And uh, if you're going to repair any kind of relationship, humility is a key factor. If you don't have that, ain't nothing going to happen. And so you could probably think of some people who had problems for years and years and years. And if you zero in on what their problem is, the problem is not one of those two parties want to be humble. Okay, not one or both may not want to be humble. Nobody want to give in. Okay, let's look at the, uh, the paragraphs on page 78. Someone read those please. Just to give us a solid understanding of the struggle that developed between Jacob and Esau. Genesis 27, 41. Two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was younger, but just barely. His twin, Esau, was born first. But Jacob arrived just a moment later. Grasping Esau's heel, Genesis 25 and 26. Even at the moment of their birth, the brothers were already fighting for position. <laughs> Their parents, Isaac and Rebecca, didn't help the situation. Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored Jacob. <laughs> Rebecca went so far as to help Jacob steal his father's blessing, a blessing Isaac intended for Esau, the firstborn. This was particularly infuriating since Jacob earlier had convinced his brother to swap his birthright for a bowl of stew. Jacob was continually grabbing at his brother's heel. He grabbed Esau's birthright. He grabbed Esau's blessing. And if he wasn't careful, 
he was going to grab more than he bargained for. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, that I will kill my brother Jacob. If you've ever been let down, if you've ever experienced searing anger, and if you've ever been mad enough to consider physically hurting the person who hurt you, then you can relate to this raw emotion. Esau expressed toward Jacob. Esau felt his anger was justified, and he often feels the same. When someone steals our joy or robs us of happiness, it's hard not to take it personally. When we feel we've been violated or betrayed, the consuming anger can even lead to thoughts of revenge. A relationship that once was a blessing can become broken. Okay, so we see what the setting is. These five power guys set the setting for us. Twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, had been in conflict since they were born. You saw that, right? Yeah. But they, they, were, they were in conflict from they were in the womb. Yeah. They were fighting from they were in the womb. Okay, Jacob convinced Esau to trade his birthright uh, to Jacob for bread and a bowl of stew. And the struggle climaxed when Jacob, with the aid of his mother, tricked his father into giving him the blessing of the firstborn son meant for Esau. Fearing Esau would murder Jacob, Rebekah arranged to have Jacob go and live with her brother Laban in the homeland, in, in her homeland of Haran, where he stayed for 20 years. Imagine you're doing something to your brother and you got to run away and hide for 20 years. Imagine that. But that's what he had to do. He had to run away and hide for 20 years. After that time, Jacob returned home with his family, but uncertain of how his brother would respond whenever they met. Okay, so he's still looking over his shoulder even after 20 years. All because he was a crook. Okay, let's look at the passage, verse 41. Just one verse. Page 78, page 77. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing the father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay, so that's a determination that he made. You could say that he made up his mind. Yeah. Okay, that when his brother, when his, as his father died, the breath he could be out of his body quick enough. He can kill his brother. Okay. Esau was infuriated. I mean, he was, he was, he was vexed. Like we say, right? Because of what Rebecca did. Uh, his mother was scheming and conniving uh, to help him. Okay, question number two. What is appealing about holding a grudge? You know the <laughs> a grudge is, huh? It destroys you, right? It's not a good feeling, it's negative. It's always negative. Okay, and it eats and gnaws away at your insides. Some people get ulcers because of it. Yeah. Alright? Some people get heartburn, all kind of stuff. It's not good to hold a grudge. You know, and. Uh, uh, so it's, it's, it's not a satisfying experience. I mean, you think it's satisfying to you, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? The 
person who you will undergraduate, ain't nothing wrong with them. They going on happy-go-lucky, no problems. And you're the one with all the heartache and the heartburn. All because of a grudge. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 78. Again, that's the one we read, read already. Right? Look at the last, the, the final two paragraphs. If you ever, if you've ever been let down, if you've ever experienced searing anger, if you've ever been made, if you've ever been mad enough to consider physically hurting a person who hurt you, then you can relate to the raw emotion Esau expressed toward Jacob. Okay, and and, and people use that that old adage. They're not going to get angry. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get even. Okay, they want to hurt a person who hurt them as much as the person hurt them. Now, whatever it take, whatever they think is take is going to take to do that, they're going to try it. Esau felt his anger just was just was justified, and we often feel the same, right? Yeah. When someone steals your joy or robs us of happiness, it's hard not to take it personally, right? That's right. When we feel we've been violated or betrayed, the consuming anger can even lead to thoughts of, oh yeah, we can get them back. We can get even. A relationship that was once a blessing became broken. Okay, and many many people have that experience today. They had a relationship that was once a blessing to, to both, both of them, and something happened. And now that relationship is shattered, and all they're thinking about it's what that person do to them and how heartless they have been. How could they do something like that? Okay, as we move to Genesis 33, we'll see what happened when the brothers met again for the first time in 20 years. <coughs> the drama. Let's look at the, uh, verses 1 to 4 on page 77. <coughs> Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female slaves. He put the female slaves and the children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. Okay, you can stop right there. Now notice, verse 1, when Jacob's long night of wrestling with God's messenger, after his long night of wrestling with God's messenger, a new day's light brought a daunting sight. What did he see? Jacob but he had 400 men. Now, what would you think? You, you did something to your brother. He promised he vowed he could kill you. You haven't seen him for 20 years, and when you did see him, he's coming with four. He got an army. That's right. What do you think? What's what, what going through your mind? Get out of Dodge. Huh? I can't do it. Get out of Dodge. Huh? <laughs> I can't do it. Jacob's moment of truth had arrived. He had taken advantage of his brother to get Esau's birthright, and he had implemented his mother's scheme to steal Esau's blessing. Had Esau nurtured a grudge for the 20 years they had been apart? 
Jacob literally was at Esau's mercy. His first move was to cope with the possible attack. His first move to, to cope with that attack was to divide his family. So he's saying that, well, if they attack us, at least everybody ain't gonna get killed. At least somebody, some, some, I could spare some of the lives of my people. So he divided his people, uh, uh, his, his, his family. So Jacob took steps to give at least some of the women and children with him the opportunity to escape if he so attacked them. So he had a plan. He had a plan. His beloved Rachel and their son Joseph were placed as far back as possible. The ones who he loved the most, he put them way in the back. Okay, so they'd be the last ones to get to get killed. Okay, the female slaves, or the concubine wives, the sweethearts we would call them today, and their children were in the front of the line, followed by Leah and her children. After arranging the order of the women and children, Jacob went on ahead to meet Esau. Earlier, he had sent messages ahead to alert Esau that he was approaching. Later, he sent slaves ahead with a, with a gift of animals. Whole bunch of stuff he's going to appease him now. Right? In a moment of crisis, however, he courageously walked out ahead of his family to meet Esau. At least he had some courage, right? As he approached Esau, Jacob bowed to the ground seven times. Jacob bowed deeply, continued to approach Esau, and bowed again. Bowing in the ancient world was a practice of respect done by an inferior recognition of his superior. Remember that was in the blessing, right? That you're going to be a servant to your brother. That was the blessing. That was given to that 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 that, uh, that Esau stole from Jacob. He says, "You'll be a servant." Remember when when he went to say, "Oh Lord, Father, do you have another blessing? Just give me another, whatever you have left." And his father told him, um, "You know, sorry to tell you, the blessing, the only blessing I can give you is that you're going to serve your brother. You're going to be subservient to him. Okay, he's going to be your master. You're going to bow to him." And so here we see uh, him living that out, bowing seven times. Uh, in an expression of deep respect. By a seventh bow, Jacob had closed the distance between himself and Jacob. So he was walking and bowing, walking and bowing, walking and bowing. Imagine the sight. Okay? In contrast, Jacob's formalities, in, t in contrast to Jacob's formalities, Esau ran to meet Jacob. Okay? So while Esau, while Jacob was bowing, 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 Esau was running toward him. Now, he probably thought that this fellow anger is still in him, and he coming, he ain't bowing, he coming, he coming to get me. Okay, so while Jacob is bowing, Esau is running toward him. But what happens when they meet? Hug him and kiss him. Hug him and kiss him. Boy, he must have been in shock, eh? He hugged him and kissed him and expressed genuine affection for Jacob. This wasn't a A2 bouté kind of kiss and hug. Remember Julius Caesar and Brutus? When Brutus went and kissed him and then stabbed him to death? This wasn't that kind of a greeting. This was genuine, total affection. Both brothers wept. Esau may have wept out of joy at seeing his brother. Jacob may have wept out of relief and joy. Oh Lord, he ain't gonna kill me no more. Yeah. <laughs> Alright? Most importantly, the embrace proved that Esau 
had forgiven Jacob. One definition of mercy is a person's person's foregoing revenge or vengeance when he or she has the upper hand and can exact it. Okay, that's one definition of mercy. Esau definitely had the upper hand. He had 400 men. He had an army. All Jacob had were women and children. So you see the upper hand? Jacob is coming with his 400 men. Now, by any stretch of the imagination, anyone would think that he was was going to fight, right? 400 men? But Esau easily, could have easily taken his revenge. Instead, he chose to extend his mercy. The way in which Jacob approached Esau teaches us that humility can rebuild relationships. Humility can restore relationships. Esau's glad response emphasizes that we can forgive the deepest hurts inflicted on us. So we have a good example here in these two brothers on how we can heal a broken relationship no matter how deep the hurt is that anybody has inflicted on us. If they could do it, then certainly anybody else could, right? Question number three. What obstacles hinder you from demonstrating humility? What obstacles stand in the way or prevent you from demonstrating humility? Think of the person who hurt you the most in your lifetime. Whoever it is. What's stopping you from demonstrating humility toward them? Think about that. And then think about Jacob and Esau. Could that person have done to you anything worse than what Jacob did to his brother? Betrayal. Hmm? Betrayal. Betrayal. Yeah. So that's a question that you can answer between you and the Lord. What obstacles hinder you from demonstrating humility? Only you know the hurt and the broken relationship that you're experiencing right now with anybody, whoever you've got a broken relationship with. Think about the obstacle that you need to overcome to demonstrate humility that uh, is is, uh, demonstrated in uh, Jacob and Esau. Okay. Let's look at um, the paragraphs on page 79. 20 years later, Jacob had become a changed man. Some might credit that to the passing of time. After all, Jacob was older and more mature. But age had nothing to do with it. Maturity is not the accumulation of years, but the acceptance of personal responsibility. A person doesn't become mature at some magic age. We reach maturity when we choose to own up to what we've done wrong and move forward in repentance and restoration. That's what finally happened with Jacob. In Genesis 33, we don't hear him explicitly confess that he had done wrong, but we do see a man who willingly came before what appeared to be a small army and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. In those days, people approached kings in this manner. Jacob was clearly expressing an attitude of humility and service. He knew God was with him, and everything he had was from God. Yet he embraced the position of lowliness. Jacob even called himself your servant. Humility is the neither cure for the sickness of a broken relationship. Until someone swallows their pride, apologizes, 
and makes the first move toward reconciliation, the brokenness will remain. The anger and anxiety will continue to grow. The mental video of the offense will be replayed over and over, and bitterness will take root deep in the heart. But one simple act of humility can turn the tide and reverse the negative momentum. It took humility on Jacob's part to open the door back into a relationship with his brother. And it worked. Surely even Jacob was surprised by what his brother did in response. Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then they wept. Okay. Go ahead, read that too. Humility is the mother of giants. One sees great things from the valley, only small things from the peak. That's a good thought. Notice the third paragraph there. Humility is a needed cure for the sickness of a broken relationship. What's the needed cure? Humility. Humility. Until someone swallows their pride, what is hard thing for some people to do it? That pride is so big they get choked on them to try to swallow it, right? <laughs> but that's what you have to do. Until someone swallows pride, apologizes. Now, there's something about apology that, that really rubs or gets to the, to the core of what some people try to do. They would use the expression, if yeah, I hurt I you, <laughs> or if I've done anything to you. You see, if you're going to apologize, you can't use that if. Because you're saying, as far as I'm concerned, I ain't do nothing to you. You think I hurt you, so if you think I hurt you, then I apologize. And that doesn't work. Now, we've all had experiences where we had broken relationships, or we have seen people try to heal broken relationships, and that two-letter word always messes things up, right? You never use the word if, if you apologize. I remember we had um, a situation with two in leadership, one time, and one of the elders said to the other one, if I did anything, and the said, I don't want that. If you could breathe that word if, don't even say nothing. Okay? That word if just throws the whole thing out of whack. Okay, so we're going to apologize, says, I apologize for hurting you. Don't put if I did anything or if I hurt you. You know you hurt the person. If you didn't hurt the person, you wouldn't be in this situation, right? Okay, so until someone swallows their pride and apologizes genuinely and makes the first move toward reconciliation, the brokenness will remain. It will stay right there. The anger and anxiety will continue to grow. See, not only is it going to stay the same, but matters are going to be made worse. Things are going to be compounded. The anger and anxiety will continue to grow. The mental video of the offense will continue, will be played over and over and over. Okay? And bitterness will take root, take deep root in the heart. But, then, but one simple act of humility can turn the tide and reverse the negative momentum. Good lesson to learn, isn't it? Yes. Okay, as we continue with verses 5 to 11, We'll see the conclusion of Jacob's union and the reconciliation with his brother. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 33, verse 5 to 11, we're on page 77. Someone read that, please. Then he saw looked up and saw the woman and children. That's 80, uh, page, that's 80. page 80. No, no, no. 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 Yeah, you were reading the right thing when he looked up and saw, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, so Esau didn't even want to accept the gifts that his brother was bringing. Okay, so after the two brothers wept in each other's arms, Esau looked up and saw the women and children arranged behind Jacob just the way he had arranged them. And, uh, and he asked them who they were, and he told them those are the you know people that God has blessed his family with, and, uh, and so on. Okay, let's look at the um, question number four. Why must forgiveness be accompanied with moving forward? Why would forgiveness be accompanied by moving forward? Okay, okay, right. Huh? Huh? Question number four. Oh, go ahead. Repeat that. That's right. There's got to be that forgiveness in order to move on. You can't go any further without the forgiveness. Okay? What are some practical ways to show forgive humility today in, our, in today's culture? In our day and time. We saw what Jacob and Esau did. Okay? But what are some practical ways to show humility in our culture? And of course, you know, everybody's, every culture is different, right? So what do you think are the ones that we can use in our culture? We have a tit for tat, butter for pot culture, right? Yeah. Alright, so how, how does it work? Huh? Let, let it go, whatever it is. Yes. Just let it go. But if the guy is on the moon, you have to really let it go. Okay. <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah, that's the same as moving forward, letting it go. You can't move unless you let it go. Okay? All right, let's... You know, it's, it's the same as no one can hate you. It's your action. No one can hate you. But it is your... It's your attitude. I think I've heard that before, yeah. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 80. Jacob was a chink man. 
encounters with God have given ways to a community that is a far cry from the world of mm-hmm. But God has also been at work to save life. Their culture and I would readily accept people's right to be angry. Unforgiving and vengeful, their peaceful action shows he felt just the opposite. For example, Esau ran to meet his brother, which was an indignified action in that culture. Esau also hunched and kissed his fallen brother. In the end, the brothers were able to reconcile because one humbled himself and the other forgave. Either one could have kept up the war. Both were required to not be done. In the same way, it's up to us to knock down the world. We're put up in our lives. If we're in the wrong, we can construct a wall of defensiveness. If someone has, has wronged you, we can construct a wall from which to attack or a wall to hide behind, check ourselves against future hurt. The way to back down these walls is simple, but it's not easy. If you're wrong, someone has forgiven, ask forgiveness. If needed, seek to make restitution. If someone wronged you, forgive. Even if you intend another apologize, forgive. Our example is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth for a very purpose. Of reconciling us to God and restoring our rights, family with God. He forgave those who killed him, and he forgave us. Jesus is also our strength. By his power and through his, his spirit, we have the ability to repent. We have the freedom to break free from the regret and shame and plague that plagues us. We can also. <coughs> Apologize in humility and seek the greater good, and we can move towards reconciliation. Exercise humility and take the first step. Trust God. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that's some good advice there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, in the same way, it's up to us to knock down the walls we have put up in our lives. Mm-hmm. If we are in the wrong, we can construct a wall of defensiveness. If someone has wronged us, we can construct a wall from which to attack or a wall to hide behind to protect ourselves against future hurt. The way to break down these walls is simple. It's not easy. If you've wronged someone, ask forgiveness. If needed, seek to make restitution. If someone wronged you, forgive, period. Even if the offender never apologizes. Sometimes what keeps the people from from, from forgiving? Apology, right? Even if they don't apologize, forgive them. And who's the example we have? Jesus Christ. When did Jesus forgive? When they killed What did he say? Exactly. Now, isn't that a good example for us? Yes. They were nailing him to a cross. He was in excruciating pain. And he says, Father, forgive them. 
Because they don't know what they're doing. Okay, we say the same thing. Okay, whenever we are at that point. Question number five on page 80. What do we lose by avoiding damaged relationships rather than seeking restoration? Chance to reconcile. Chance to reconcile, that's right, amen. Okay, let's look at the exercise, the activity on page 81, knocking down the wall. When that, that last article talked about knocking down the wall, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, which of the following obstacles have hindered you from offering forgiveness in the past? <laughs> all right every last one okay if all of them let's look at them pain and anger yes selfishness yes apathy yes fear yeah distance oh yeah betrayal oh yes busyness pride yes yes bitterness okay we can what step can we take to knock down one of these obstacles in your current relationships? Okay, so you can decide what steps you need to take, and that's up to you. What steps can you take to knock down just one? Kindness. 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 All right, that does it, eh? Yeah. People think you're crazy sometimes when you exercise kindness, especially if they do something wrong for you. And you, yeah. you show a, a, an act of kindness, they'll say, oh boy, you really gone now. Yeah. Yeah. Really lost it now. Yeah. Because they, know, they cannot imagine you showing kindness to them because of what they did to you. Mm. So that one really threw them for a loop. Yeah, but they say, not going to kill them with kindness. Yeah, kill them with kindness. He tells overcome evil with good. That's right. That's right. That's not easy at all. That's what, that's what really requires you to swallow your pride, even if you choke on it. And then he say, avenge not yourself, I would do your revenge. Exactly. When we try to avenge ourselves, we find ourselves in problems. God says, do you want to do it yourself? Okay, I'm going to just back up and let you do it. Live it out. Live it out. How do we live it out? Consider the following options. First one is submit. Every Christian is called to live humbly under the Lordship of Christ. Give to God any pride and submit to living humbly in Christ. That's number one. Number two, forgive. If someone has hurt or offended you, take whatever steps are necessary to forgive them. By forgiving, you are not saying what he or she did is okay, but you refuse to hold that offense against them any longer. You are to forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's according to scripture, right? And then the third thing we do is apologize. If you are the one who has hurt or offended someone else, contact the person and ask for forgiveness. Do everything in your power to make restitution or to make it right. Okay, final point. Conflict happens. It has happened to countless people in the past and it will happen to you even in the context of your deepest and most meaningful relationships. What happens next will determine the quality of those relationships. So choose wisely.